I'm going to start this morning with a quote, and on the quote, you can analyze it uh, on two categories, one to five, you don't worry, you don't need to hand this in, but uh, one to five on the level of integrity you feel is in the quote and the level of humility. So those are the two uh, grades that you can give. The scenario is there's a leader of an operation. There's been some problem with the, the steel from the steel manufacturer, and this is his own story recounting how he is talking to the leader of the steel company about this problem with the steel. So I believe you'll see this quote on the side screens. Let me read it for you. Here's what he says. If you do not ship the remaining steel for free, we will close the construction project permanently, take the entire operation into bankruptcy, and I will spend the rest of my life pursuing a legal remedy for all the damages incurred by your company's failure to perform. You have until tomorrow at 5 o'clock to give me your answer, but don't call it 5.05 because there is a big part of me now hoping your answer is no. So there you go. You can, I see some smiles, so maybe I know. But uh, you're giving a grade. Level of humility, level of integrity in that. And, and even as you read that, though, you, you see some of the complicated situations that we come into in work. This steel manufacturer had sent some bad steel. They were in trouble. They could not go forward unless, they could not pay the bill unless this steel came. And so you see the, the tension they are in. And again, then we are rating it. We're looking in with the grid of integrity and humility. You may wonder, well, what happened? What happened? How did this play itself out? And you'll see on the screen what the author records, what the, the speaker records happened next. Here's what he says. At precisely 5 o'clock, the president of that company called and said the documents would be available to sign early the next week and the remaining steel would be shipped for free. So the cost of fixing the bad steel was 100% covered by the free steel we received, and the operation was saved. So you see, it all worked out. It's all good. It all worked out well. And then what comes next is very interesting, and I don't have it on the screens for you. I'll just read it to you. He gives us the spiritual lesson of what just has happened. Here's what the author says. God did that. He gave the plan. He gave the favor. He moved in the hearts of the decision makers. He alone got our operation out of an awful catastrophe we had been facing. Out of that victory through prayer, our operation has nearly doubled in just five years, and we are going forward in the strength of those lessons learned. Praise God. Now, you see how the author is developing this, what he's saying. He's saying, here's the spiritual lesson. Things worked out well in the end. God doubled the size of our operation, and so therefore, everything that happened before was an answer to prayer, and it was good. And we can, as we think through this, here's the logic. Here, here's sort of the thinking, is that if there's success, if there's profit, if there's promotion, if there's a doubling in five years, then all that happened before must be right and good. This is the way it works. This is our value system. Now, as you step back for a moment, you may look at that and be wondering, who's the author? What's the business? What's the story behind the story? And let me say this, it's actually, and I'm not the first to identify this quote, it's actually not a business leader. I changed the word from operations to church. It's actually a pastor who's talking, and it's recorded in a book that he wrote, and one of the subtitles of the book is, What Every Church Can Be. 
And so this pastor is sort of laying this forward, and I'm not the first to raise some concerns with this and his approach as it comes to integrity and humility in that maybe there's something more important. Maybe something, there's, there's something greater than just doubling in success or profit and promotion as we've been hearing in the series. Today, we are in our week number four of our series, Work as Worship. Trying to say, how do we view what we do every day, no matter what type of work it is, studying or whatever else it may be, how do we view that as worship? And today, as we're walking through this series, we come to the specific topic of when you're a leader, when you're a manager, when you're an owner, when you're a supervisor, what really matters? What's the right way to operate? And last week, we looked at it through the lens of employees, and today, we come and look at it through the other lens of what really does matter. What do we focus on? And here's my hope and prayer for this morning, that no matter where you work or what you work at, we will be reminded that how we work, the character of our work is absolutely essential. If you wanted a summary for my message today, it would simply be this, character matters. Character matters. More than profit or promotion or success or doubling or whatever other standards we may have, character matters. And as we did last week, we're going to go back to the book of Colossians and look at a passage there that Paul wrote just to help us understand this. So I sure hope you have your Bibles. Last week we were in Colossians 3. We finished 3. We're going to start in chapter 4, verse 1. And as some of you know, our normal practice at Harbor is just to go through a whole long passage of Scripture because this is more of a topical series. We're skipping around, but two weeks in the book of Colossians as Paul is sort of giving us what, we, what they call a household code to different members in the household. And as I did last week, I'm going to read the verse, and as soon as I read the verse, you're going to see that I need to spend a little bit of time explaining the verse, giving some background to what the first century was, and then after I've done that, then I'll take some principles and apply them to our work today. So Colossians 4, verse 1, hope you've got it so you can just see this one verse and follow along. Here's what it says, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. Because, that you, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Slave masters, provide your slaves what is right and fair. Now, some of you maybe weren't here last week, or you're new to Christianity, or you're looking in on the Bible, and here's what you're going to say. Here's what you're thinking now. This is what's wrong with the Bible. This is what's wrong with Christianity. Here's what the verse should read. Slave owners, if you own slaves, please set them free. Why is this so complicated? Right? Why does the Bible say something like this? Isn't the correct answer, set the slaves free? And if you're thinking that, I agree. And actually, the Bible agrees with you as well. And let me just try to then step back from that and just look at this verse in the context of first century slavery. And as I did last week, I'll review a little bit, but it's important in case someone wasn't here last week. And it's important we look at these verses from a 20th century mindset. We look at them as we view things today. Not, it was very different 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, slavery was complicated. It, was, it could have been 25 to 40% of the population, a third of the population. It's a whole class of people. There's the ruling class, there's the emperor, the ruling class, there's the citizenry, and then there's a lower class of people. 
the slave class that was very broad. Some were slaves because they were spoils of, became spoils of war. Others were born into slavery. Some became slaves because, because as children, their birth parents left them outside to die. And maybe someone came along as a slave owner and collected a child and brought them home to be a slave and to work for them. I'm not saying the slave owner had great motives in that. Right, I'm going to pick up a child, a baby, and bring it home and save its life, but it will provide labor for me. Not great motives, but if you're looking at does the child die or does it become a slave, again, these issues are complicated. Other times, and this was much more common, people became slaves because they had debts that they had incurred. And they could not pay off their debts. Or, you know, why would they have debts? Well, it could have become natural disaster, famine. All sorts of things happen, even as we see in the world today. And they could not afford to buy food for themselves. And so just think as a last resort, when you have no ability to buy food for you or your family, what's your only choice? Well, you go to a rich ruler and you say, I'll sell myself or my family into slavery if you will house me and feed me. Remember, there's no charitable assistance. There's no government out there. And so people were doing that and thus sold themselves into slavery to save their lives. Again, this is complicated. You know, do you, does someone starve to death or do they become a slave? As you see it in those contexts, it's hard. To, this is, there's no easy answers on these slavery issues. In fact, what's really worked in my heart, even as I've thought about this over the last month or two, is watching some news stories on the TV of parents today of, of parents today in countries where they have to consider selling one of their children to pay to get money for food to feed the rest. And that's happening in our world today. And again, you look in on that situation and there are no easy answers and we can be so thankful that by the grace of God, we're not in that environment. But this is sort of the complicated issues that we face today and certainly was, was the whole first century. And then Paul writes these words, and these words subtly undermine the institution of slavery. They subtly undermine it. Here's why. Because, see, some slaves, again, some slaves back in the first century would have been treated horrifically, would have been awful. Others were treated, oh, somewhat well. Um, again, they would have been maybe teachers or even doctors. But yet all slaves were regarded as property. All slaves were regarded as property. They were a lower class. And now Paul writes these words to those who own slaves. Do you see how he's subtly undermining the institution of slavery? He's saying if you're a slave owner, you have a moral and an ethical obligation in how you treat your slaves. This is unheard of. You think of some of the property you own today, you don't give any thought that you have any moral or ethical obligation in how you treat it. That would have been the same in the first century. And Paul comes along and says, oh, no, no, no. Whether you're a slave or a slave owner, we all have one master in heaven, and we all will give an account, slave owners, on how you treat slaves. This was revolutionary. And again, if you're here this morning and you're saying slavery is so wrong and I agree with you and the Bible agrees with you, you're arguing from a value system. Here's your value system. Everyone should be treated equally under the eyes of God. And we all have a moral responsibility to do that. That's the message of the gospel. And what Paul writes here becomes like yeast that begins to work its way through the culture. And the values that we see today that we take for granted are the values that began here in the New Testament through, through the values of the gospel and that all people are created equal. So as we read these words, Paul is not in any way endorsing slavery, but he's saying here's how you operate within a very complicated 
system. And what is he stressing? What is he stressing here? What does he say to slave owners? Your character matters. How you actually operate is more important than profit or promotion or success or whatever your enterprise was. He's not saying, and I'm not saying, that profit and promotion and those things don't matter. They certainly do. They're not bad, but Paul is saying, here's what's better. Here's what's important. And so that's the eyes that we look at through this today. What principles might Paul be giving to those who are in any sort of leadership role? So here's what I want to do this morning. Character matters. Give two things that Paul is talking about. The two character traits that he pulls out of these verses. We'll talk about those. And then we have a testimony. I'm going to invite Dave to come and share a little bit in the message. And then I'll take this analogy of slavery. And then we'll use that to move into our communion time and remember what Christ has done for us. So, two character traits that matter, one living testimony of how that plays out in the real world, and then the analogy moves us to communion. So, look back at the verse with me. Masters, provide for your slaves what is right and fair. Let's just talk about those two words, right and fair. Right means living righteously, means living up to God's standard, means following the will of God, and fair is... We know what that means. It means, being, it means about being fairness. It means having judgments that are free from discrimination or dishonesty. And so what Paul is saying, here's the character trait that he wants those in leadership, those who are employers, owners, bosses, supervisors. Here's the character trait. And I've just sort of brought it down to one word to be the word integrity, bringing that rightness and fairness together. And if the broad category is character matters, then underneath that, we would just simply say that integrity matters. Integrity is about wholeness. It's about living right. It's about being fair. It's about being authentic in all that we do. As I understand it, in Greek culture, those that were actors would often wear a mask on their face as they acted on the stage. Those actors, because they were wearing a mask, became known as hypocrites because they, were, they could change their mask and thus change their character in whatever situation they were in. And you see where we get the word hypocrite from. It means someone who can change their character or adjust, be one person in one situation and one person in another situation. That's the exact opposite of what integrity is. Integrity is about a wholeness, about an authenticity in every area of our life. If you think of life as a pie, you know, there's different portions. There's the career, there's spiritual, there's social, there's family, there's our private world. And what integrity says is that I have a wholeness to my life, that if I live right and fair, that I'm the same person in every environment. I'm the same person in every situation. I'm not pretending to be someone that I'm not in one environment or I'm not just acting another way to, to please people or or acting out in, in different ways in different environments. God wants us to be the same in every situation, with our speech, with our actions, with our motives. We would say this first point, integrity matters. People, God, God wants us to live that way no matter who is watching us. So the first idea that we learned from Paul is in integrity matters, and that's for all of us, no matter our workplace. But let me just say a few specific things. If you're in the category of boss, employer, owner, supervisor, that category, here's what part of being integrity would mean is we pay an honest wage for the labor given. We ensure a safe and respectable work environment. We don't neglect the employee to retain a greater profit. 
We don't seek to take advantage or manipulate just because we have the power. And so those would be the things that it means specifically as an employer. This week, if you're watching the videos, you'll see a great story about a company named Bandwidth, started by two Christian men, and you get to see the story of that company and their employees, and you'll hear some interviews from the employees, and one employee says something like, they're always trying to promote me as an individual. And part of the company policy was that everyone had to leave by 6 o'clock and go home because they felt like 6 or 8, from 6 to 8 p.m. were the key family hours and they wanted all their employees home during that time. You'll hear some other employees say, well, we work very hard and they expect excellence. But it's not just them taking from us, it's them giving. It's not just about the profit, it's about them trying to benefit us as people and minister to us. It's a good story, a good reminder of how one, two men and their company bandwidth are using their influence and integrity to benefit others. So that's our first idea this morning. Character matters. Be people of integrity. The second one, and I did this last week, I have a little Dilbert comic. The Dilbert comics, I think, illustrate this better than I ever could. So uh, you'll see it on the side screens. I'll read it for you. The C, here's what it says. The CEO of Apple says a leader should admit when he's wrong. Then the boss says, well, that won't work for me because I'm never wrong. The best I can do is admit when other people are wrong. And then the employee says, well, that sort of misses the point. And the boss says, well, I humbly admit that you're wrong. So all you need to do is remember the comic. But the second idea is this, is that our humility matters. Our humility matters. And that's where the verse takes us in the second part of the verse. Because that you know you have a master in heaven. What Paul is drawing the attention to is that everybody is accountable to someone. You know, and we all then are ultimately accountable to God. What Paul is reminding his readers and those that were in some sort of leadership role is that they are under the lordship of Christ, under the kingship of Christ, and that they never reach a place in life where you're no longer accountable. And when we humbly realize that we will give an account one day for how we lead, how we impact those under us, we say, God, how may I first seek to please you in all that we do? That's the spirit of humility. You know, pride is when we say, we're going to take credit for all these accomplishments. Look what I did. Humility says, look what God has done and look what we have done together. The simple words here that Paul is saying, because you know that you have a master in heaven, just allows us to change our perspective and to see that we are under God and thus operate humbly as we deal with others. So let me just give again some specifics, if you're in that category, supervisor, boss, employer, of what this actually may look like. Employers, realize that you must answer to God for the way you conduct yourself with your employees. Be concerned that they are paid properly. Be concerned about their, their health, their spouses, their children, their families, their education. Employers, what kind of environment are you creating for the people under you? They matter. Use your leadership and your power in your influence in a way that makes a difference in the lives of the people that report to you. Those are the principles here that we're seeing that Paul is saying to this church in Colossians. So character matters. What two specific areas? Integrity and humility. 
And as I watched the uh, videos this week and saw the stories, I thought it would be nice that we had our own Niagara story just to see how these things live out. And so I'm going to invite Dave Newfeld to come. Dave, come on up here. Dave's a good friend. Dave, uh, Dave is going to tell the story of him and his boss, Lucas Smith. And some of you know the tragedy that happened this last summer with Lucas and, and the loss of his life. But we remember him and the impact that he's had on Dave and many others. And so, Dave, just share a little of your story today. Good morning, Harbor. My name is Dave Neufeld, and I had the privilege of working for a Christian man named Lucas Smith for the last seven years. Lucas was a framing carpenter. He owned his own business for 18 years, and we framed or built an average of 25 to 40 houses a year. I started working for Lucas in early April 2014 when I was 17. Lucas was a hard worker and a diligent Christian. He always put 100% into whatever he did. Lucas set many good examples for me that in literally all parts of life that I still try to follow to this day. Lucas was very driven and determined. We worked through all seasons and weather conditions. He used to say, you can't pick the weather, Dave. Lucas was very consistent. Every day we started work at the same time and on time, no matter what. We finished at the same time every day too. Rain and snow days were very, very rare. He always had the same hardworking, get-her-done spirit to him. He persevered through all challenges of life. About three years ago, he fell off his dirt bike and crushed two vertebrae in his lower back. It was pretty serious. After the initial recovery, he had a hard time walking and standing up straight in the following months. But he was determined to heal up and get back to his high-energy normal life. He was literally an example to everyone about it's not how many times you fall, it's how many times you get back up and keep going. Lucas lived out his faith as best he could, even when things were tough. He was passionate about his relationship with Jesus Christ. He was never ashamed of what he believed. He had no problem asking other people big questions about their lives. He possessed a unique sense of integrity and he encouraged everyone around him to think higher thoughts. He always displayed genuine interest in their problems and he was always down to pray for them. I could always share what was going on with him in my young life and he would always listen. When I was 19, as we drove into work early one Monday morning, he said, Dave, guess what I got us? I was like, no idea, Luke, what'd you get us? He said, oh, I just downloaded this sweet Bible devotional app for us, Dave, and I want you to read it to me every day as we drive in so that you got no excuse to not understand what's going on here. So that's what we did every day as we drove into work. It was very beneficial to me over the years. After one particularly stressful crane day, as we were about to drive home, he looked at me and said, Man, that kind of sucked. Nothing went right there. After a few minutes of silence, he said, But Dave, when stuff goes wrong, we got to pray. And we got to thank God for what, what did go well. So right there, we said a little prayer about our day. Lucas and I shared many common interests. Outdoorsy stuff, hockey, boating, fishing, and adventures in general. We had somewhat similar, impulsive, sporadic personalities. We became very good friends over those seven years. But Lucas knew exactly how to keep his work and his personal life separate. When I was on the clock, I was the employee and he was the boss. His game face was no joke. He set high expectations. But after five o'clock, we were like best pals. We would laugh and we'd joke. 
and we'd go on adventures. It was great. He used to say, work hard, play harder. Lucas became so much more to me than my boss at the end of his life. He was a solid mentor to me, and he was always looking out for my spiritual health. He loved worship music, and he'd put it on the radio when we drove home sometimes when somebody wasn't feeling right. Through all the ups and downs of his life, he demonstrated to everyone that his relationship with God was his priority. Lucas was not a perfect man or a perfect boss, and he was the first to admit it. But no matter what happened, he never lost his faith. Lucas used his gifts to honor God and cultivate things that are eternal. These are the kind of character traits that I believe made Lucas an ex excellent example of a Christian employer. I hope as I get older, I can learn to follow in his footsteps as an employer and as a Christian man. Dave, thank you very much, and I appreciate the story. I, I, my favorite part of the story is when you're driving to work there and he's saying, read the devotional out loud. Uh, but just I appreciate the intentionality of that, the intentionality, the simplicity of that, the realness of that. What you will hear in the video this week, and I'll just prepare you for it now, is whatever we do, do it well for the glory of God and do it strategic for the mission of God that God has us all somewhere during the week where we can find a way to be strategic for the mission of God. And sometimes those can result in big, lofty ideas that can be a little bit idealistic. But Dave, thank you for your story. That's just simple, everyday, real, intentional ways that Lucas and you lived out your faith together. And so if I'm trying to bring all of this together today, all that we've heard and, and this, this uh, emphasis on character, let me just put up on the side screens one little quote that I think helps brings it all together for us. And here's what it says. Your competency will take you only as far as your character will sustain you. What we ultimately remember and mark in people's lives is their character. Not yet, not necessarily their success, their profits, their, or their, even their competencies, but it's ultimately our character that sustains us. And if you're wondering back to the pastor that I talked about in the opening, you probably don't know his name in regards to that building they built and doubled in size in five years, but if you do know his name, you will know his name in regards to a character failure he had, in regards to some integrity and humility issues that were sort of illustrated in some of his character, even in the conversation we have. That's sort of what that pastor is known for today and thus illustrating this point. So character matters. Character matters, and we've looked now at this idea from the perspective of the slave owner, you know, and, and what would be his character towards his slaves. But it's also interesting as we move to communion, I just want to highlight that last little line there. It said, you have a master in heaven. So we've looked at it through that, those eyes, but now you see the analogy gets reversed. And in many ways, now God becomes the master and we become the slaves. That's the analogy that I think helps us understand the communion table. In Romans 6, Paul actually admits this. He uses this analogy, but he says it's not a great analogy. But he says, I'm going to just use it anyway because we're human and it helps us does, do understand how we relate to God. 
I think the reason being a slave to God is not a great analogy because it implies that God could have really harsh conditions for us and we know that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But being a slave to God does sort of help us understand the importance of giving ourselves wholly to God. And so on the screen, you'll see this verse from Romans 6 as Paul develops this idea of being a slave to God. Here's what he says. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. What Paul has just said before this is that we were all slaves to sin. The result of that is that we felt great shame and we experienced death. Experienced death in the moment, but also ultimately death and separation from God. We were once slaves to sin, and now, Paul says, we have now become slaves to God. And we follow him, and the result of that, that he says in the next part of the verse, is that that leads to holiness, and it leads to eternal life. So, two different types of people one who's a slave to sin and one who's a slave to God. How do you move from one category to the other? That's what it says right there in the middle of the verse. We have been set free from being a slave to sin. And even as we thought about slavery today, just think of this analogy. This is the biblical analogy. We at all at one point were slaves to sin, in bondage to it, trapped by it, could not get out, could not rescue ourselves. We know the shame of that, and we know the result of that. We could not be set free. We're headed towards death. That's the picture the Bible is giving us. But yet, what we mark in the communion table, the bread and the cup, is that Jesus comes along and sets us free. He sets us free from the slavery of sin. How does he do that? By paying the price The price was death, and Christ took that penalty on the cross for us. It's like we're trapped in slavery. What would ever ransom us out of that? Well, the payment of Christ's death, his body broken and his blood spilled for us. That's what this verse reminds us of, what Christ has done for us. And so, here's what we learn. There's only two types of people in the world. One person is a slave to sin, and one person is a slave to God. And so this morning, if you're looking in on this, and you now know there's only two categories, and you would say, you know, I'm in the slave to sin category, maybe somewhere throughout the day, you've been convicted of your lack of humility, lack of character, lack of integrity, or you're just looking at your life now saying, yeah, I'm captive to sin. Here's the good news, or here's the burden you first feel. You know the weight of that. You know the burden of that. You know how you can feel trapped and so low. But the good news is that you can be set free from that. You can be set free from the slavery of sin. And how do we do that? Well, we just look to Christ. He offers a free gift of his freedom, his forgiveness through his grace and mercy. We only just have to reach out and receive what he wants to offer. So if you're this morning and you would just humbly say, I'm in the category of being a slave to sin, wouldn't this morning you turn from your sin, repent of it, and trust in Christ to set you free? And then the second category of people are those who are slaves to God. We've been purchased out of the slavery to sin, and we know sin is an awful master, but we've been moved to be slaves to God. 
who is gentle and lowly in spirit and his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He did all of that for us, the great cost of the cross, his, his body broken and his blood spilled for us, and that's what we remember today. Being a slave to God means that we should, we have a new status, a new identity. It means we should give ourselves wholly to God rather than to sin. But ultimately, the reflection of this communion time helps us remember this, helps us remember that we were once slaves to sin and Christ set us free to mark what he has done for us. And in the next moment, says, you just mark in your soul well, how Christ has purchased your freedom, set you free from that slavery, you will love him more. Your heart will be more filled. And as your heart is more filled, you will leave here more motivated to follow him, to serve him, to live for holiness. So the band is going to come now and lead us in a song. There's two types of people. If you're in the slave to sin category, would you come? Would you turn from your sin? Would you trust in Christ this morning? And for those of you that are in the slave to God category, would you uh, just take these next moments and ponder what Christ has done for you? Hopefully you picked up your elements on the way in, a little cup. You can have those prepared, and I will come back in a moment after the song and after a time of reflection and lead us in taking those elements together.